Good morning, beloved Orangewood. Good morning. Good morning, Pastor Jakes. Good to see you. Hey, what an incredible, beautiful day that God has given us to worship Him. Uh, this morning, as we continue our series on cre- design for worship, that God has created us to worship, we've been looking through the Psalms. Uh, this morning, we got an extra special blessing uh, with Dr. Richard Pratt coming this morning and opening up God's Word. I've had the privilege of having Dr. Pratt in seminary. Uh, and there are some people who will teach you things, and then there are people who will teach you how to think. There's p- some people help you uh, see things, and then there are people who help you see. And in my life, when it comes to uh, training and, and understanding God's word and the big picture of the kingdom of God, there's been no one greater who's helped shape my understanding is what is God's word really telling us? And what is the kingdom of God really all about? And I remember the first class I attended of his it was called Introduction to Theological Studies, and uh, it was probably back in 92 or 93. As a matter of fact, Reformed Theological Seminary at that time was right across the street uh, over in the Maitland uh, Commons area. And I went to class, and the first day of class, I was so excited uh, to start my seminary journey. And for many of you know, I was able to cram three years of an MDiv into eight years. So it began a long journey. Um, but what happened was, is uh, after the first day of class, I came home and I, I said to Katie, well, that was, uh, that was incredible. But I think there's one of two things that, that must be true, but two things can't be true. Either I'm a Christian or Richard Pratt's a Christian, or Richard Pratt's a Christian and I'm not a Christian. But we both can't be Christians because it was so mind-blowing the way he saw things and the way he under- described things. And then I realized, yeah, he is my brother in Christ. And really, uh, God used him mightily to help me think, to help me see and we have the privilege of uh, welcoming him. He's the president of a ministry called Third Mill Ministries. There's more information in your bulletin about that. At the end of his sermon, I'm going to ask him a couple of questions to describe that a little bit further. So, Richard, it's an honor to have you. Blessings, brother. He's been in our Orangewood Pulpit uh, throughout the years. Welcome back, Richard. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'm really glad to be with you this morning. I can sort of see you. The lights are bright up here. Are you really out there? Okay, you're there. Okay, good. If you have a Bible, the um, bulletin is wrong. That's one of the great things about being a guest preacher. You can change the passage you're going to preach from at the last minute. So I did. We're going to look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And if you have a Bible, you want to turn there with me, please, and read along as we read from God's Word. This is now the Word of God. Listen to it. Give your heart to it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never, will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we bow before you now, having heard these words that have been said and sung by your people for millennia. 
We turn to you, Lord Jesus, because we call no one our teacher but you. We long to see no one like we long to see you. We hope in no one like we hope in you. We trust no one like we trust you. So we pray now you'll send Holy Spirit to us, that he will come and fill every heart in this room, that our eyes may be open to see you and the truth that you would have us believe today. And as you do that, we will give you praise. We'll honor you for it. Amen. Every mother in here will tell you this. It's very unusual for little infant children to come into this world saying thank you. Now, it's very usual for infants and for toddlers and for young children and for teenagers and even for adults to complain about what's going on in the world, to be down about the pain or the hunger or the sorrow or the discomfort that they have. Oh, yeah, that's very usual. But what's unusual is when you find any of those people at any of those stages actually being people whose hearts are full of thanks, whose hearts are full of adoration and joy and pleasure in the things of this world. I think we just all have to admit that to ourselves. And looking at you right now, yep, I would say that's true of you too. Certainly true of me. In fact, what parents often have to do is they have to spend a lot of time, don't they, teaching young children just simply to say thank you. Say thank you, Johnny. Say thank you, Johnny. If you don't, I'm going to put you in your room for the rest of this day. Time out. Say thank you. And finally, they learn to spit out a little thank you. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? If you want to have actual thanksgiving in your heart, if you want to have adoration in your life, it goes beyond just learning to say those simple words, thank you. Somehow we also have to teach our children to go beyond the words and to how to say thank you in ways that really do express something that's deep inside of them. Well, you're beginning now a series of sermons from the Psalms on worship. I'm told that I'm near the front of that. Is that right? And so I thought it would be right for us to focus our attention this morning on what it means to have a thankful heart, what it means to be a thankful person, because worship in many ways is all about that. What you're doing right now is centered around this idea that we should be happy about something. We should be thankful about something and that we ought to be able to say so. So how do you do that? Well, this psalm is one of those psalms that takes us through a process of a person who does say thank you, says thank you to God for the things that are going on in his life. And it starts off inside of him. We get a glimpse inside of this person's heart in the first verses. Do you remember what it says in the first three verses? It says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. What that basically means is something's happened in my life that makes me grateful. Something's happened in my life that makes me thankful. And it's so big in my life, I can't stop talking about it. It will always be on my lips. Now, when does that ever happen to a person? Except when a person has seen something, has noticed something in life that really turns them on, really makes them the kind of person who says, man, this is so exciting, this is so good, I can't stop talking about it. I mean, think of what happens when a mother has her first child. Does she just sit there and say, well, that was good? Of course not. 
What she does is she just can't stop talking about him. The father's stumbling around in the hall. He's handing out cigars or what we bubblegum cigars now, I guess, or whatever we hand out to people nowadays. And it's because they can't stop talking about how cute that baby is, how wonderful it is to be a new father, a new mother. It's something that's good for them, something they recognize as good, and so they can't stop talking about it. In fact, it goes further than that. Did you see in verse 3, he says, Okay, everybody else, come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. In fact, the heart of a person who wants to be able to say thank you to God, who wants to be able to exalt God and adore him in this way, can't be satisfied with just doing it himself. He wants other people to join in too, just like that mother. Mother and daughter are fine. And the husband stumbling around in the hallway doesn't just say thank you to hear himself say thank you. He wants other people to be excited too. This expresses something about the heart of this person and the heart of every single person who knows how to come to a time like this with thankfulness in their hearts or at some other moment in your time alone with God or even walking down the street, driving the car. A moment of thankfulness, a moment of hope comes when you're so turned on to something that's happened in your life, you can't stop talking about it and you want other people to know about it and talk about it with you. It's really that simple. Now, I know in a group this size, there are probably people here who don't follow Jesus. And this idea of being that excited about something God does is really bizarre sounding. I I can understand that. But you need to understand that followers of Jesus have a great privilege. And the privilege is our eyes have been opened up to see God at work in the world. We're actually able to see that God does things. And the same can be true for you if you don't follow Jesus. It's really not that hard. All you have to do is come to Jesus and he'll open your eyes up to begin to see things that are out there around you and in your own life that actually deserve to elicit gratitude in your heart, thankfulness in your heart. So if you're tired of being down, if you're tired of being the kind of person that can't see anything but the misery of life, come to Jesus and he can open your eyes to see that there are other things in the world too, other things in life. But isn't it true, even for those of you who follow Jesus, that it's very easy for us to forget how much Jesus has opened our eyes to see the world around us. Because we can put glasses on that really don't belong to us, but glasses that come to us every single day from television, from the movies, from books we read, magazines we read, even conversations with friends that can bring us down. Because these glasses we put on look around ourselves and we try to explain Every single thing that happens in life in natural terms, in ordinary terms. Oh, yeah, well, I got a raise, and that was because I worked really hard. Oh, yeah, well, things are better in my marriage now because uh, we've really been concentrating on that. Or isn't that interesting, that accident that just happened in my life? And we, we explain away things and push God, put God's activity in our lives to the edge of life rather than bringing it central to our lives because it feels unsophisticated, doesn't it? It feels like, man, what am I, a fanatic that I see God everywhere in life? 
that would be ridiculous. So what I need to do is just be reasonable about all this and think just like the world does and push God to the edges of those things we can't explain any other way. So no wonder that even followers of Jesus are robbed of the joy, robbed of a heart of gratitude because we refuse to see that even in the simple things in life, even to the things that seem very ordinary, that God is at work in our lives in ways that should so excite us that we can't stop talking about it and we want other people to know and talk about it with us. That's where it begins. That's where it begins in coming even to a worship service here at Orangewood. It begins with you opening your eyes, getting rid of those glasses that the world wants you to view the world in terms of. Opening your eyes to see the reality that God is at work in your life. And it's so good, you just can't stop talking about it. And you want the people around you to join with you. So if you ever wondered why you're bored with a worship service, if you ever wonder why your quiet times are dull, if you ever wonder why you just seem to be down all the time, in many ways it starts right here with having a heart. Having a heart that can respond to the good things that God is doing. But just like with children, it's one thing to get excited about something. It's another thing to figure out how to go from your heart to your lips. How to say thank you. How to express gratitude. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm so old, I grew up watching Gomer Pyle. Now, if you don't know what Gomer Pyle is, Gomer Pyle USMC, if you don't know what that is, turn on TV land this afternoon. It reruns now. And Gomer Pyle is this Marine, goofy Marine from North Carolina, I think it is. Yeah, Mayberry, North Carolina. And he was funny because his drill instructor, Sergeant Carter, he never got out of basic training, I don't think. So I guess he was stuck there for years and years and years. But his drill instructor, Sergeant Carter, would do something. And Gomer would get excited about it while everybody else was just kind of moaning about it. But he would get excited about it. And this is what he would say. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Sergeant Carter. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Sergeant Carter. And that's all he would ever say. And even as a child, I would see that and I'd go, wow, that's really funny because he's saying thank you, thank you, thank you over and over again. But surely there's something more you can say when your heart's turned on to what God has done than simply, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, sometimes those words are the only words that can come, and that's perfectly fine. But surely there's another way to do it, a better way to do it. And we find it right here in this psalm, beginning in verse 4. Listen to what he says in verse 4. I, talking about himself, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of thy fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man, talking about himself, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, this is a short example of something that happens all throughout the Psalms. And it's really very simple. The way 
that they talk about their gratitude, the way they express their excitement about what God has done continually and so that other people can join in, is that they tell the story of what God has done. It's very short here, just a couple of verses here. But in other Psalms, you'll find sometimes this story of thanksgiving goes on for 18, 19, 20 verses. Because the stories can be summarized in quick snapshots, but they can also be very elaborate. Telling the story about what God has done is one of the main ways in which followers of Jesus express a heart of gratitude, bringing it to their lips, talking about it, so that other people really can join in. I know that may sound strange in many ways, but you've experienced this kind of thing where people will tell stories about you and you realize from the story they're telling about you that they're really very thankful and very grateful for what you've done for them. Haven't you had stories like that? I can remember when our daughter, Becky, who grew up in this church before we came here, when she had her second grade, second grade birthday party, it was at a local roller skating rink in Jackson, Mississippi. Can you imagine what that was like? It was a nightmare. It was 300 degrees at least in this place. It smelled like little kids running around the whole day. We were there having her big birthday party with all her new friends in this new town we moved to. Didn't know what else to do, so we went to the roller skating rink. It was great. So she skated all morning, had the big birthday cake, had all the presents, all the friends. And all that time, Becky had never said thank you to me, not once. And I spent a whole lot of money on that and a lot of time in that horrible place. And I was going to get a thank you out of her. So that night, I sat down on the edge of her bed and I said, well, Becky, did you have a good time today? And she said, yes. Well, that wasn't enough. So I went fishing for more. What did you like about today, Becky? Everything. Well, that wasn't enough either. Not for me. I needed to know she really liked what happened that day. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to get this out of her one way or the other. So I said, well, tell me some of the things you liked about today. Can you be a little more specific? And so she started telling me about how the girls chased the boys into the bathroom and the boys chased the girls back into the bathroom, talked about how she got to skate around the rink by herself while they played happy birthday. You know how they do that, okay? Little stories, little stories, little stories, little scenarios of what had happened that day at this horrific birthday party. And all the while, she was telling me those little stories of what had happened in her life that day. I sat there like that and said, yep, I have been a good father, haven't I? I'm a good daddy. Because she didn't even realize it, but all the while she was telling me those little stories, she was saying, thank you, daddy. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. That's you and me. Because sometimes we do have hearts that are actually turned on, eyes that can see that God has done something in our lives, but we don't know how to take that heart attitude and put it here. Well, one of the ways we can do that is by telling the stories of what God has done. Now, we do that in a corporate meeting, in a big meeting like this, in a number of ways. Sometimes pastors will even allow people to come up and give testimony of something that God has done in their lives. And that's a great thing. Sometimes you'll find your story in the songs that you sing. You say, yeah, 
That's what happened to me. Sometimes you'll be able to turn to your neighbor before church, even during church at times, and tell them, let me tell you something that happened to me this week. Sometimes you can do it on your way to church. Sometimes you can do it on your way home from church. Because the stories that we tell about what God has done in our lives so please him that he sits back like that and says, yes, I am a good father to this child of mine. And don't you want God to know that he's been good to you? So when you sing the hymns, personalize them. Make them yours. Yes, you may not even be able to make it through a hymn if you do that. You may get choked up. That's okay. You may have to sit down because you're so overwhelmed by what is said in that hymn as it applies to you. That's okay. During the sermon, you may hear something that connects to your story. And you may have to whisper, whisper of course here, a little amen. Who knows what might happen to you? But I can tell you this. If you will take that heart that's turned on to something that God has done and turn it into a little story, you'll be telling God thank you the whole time. You'll be able to do what we're supposed to be doing when we worship him. And he will be pleased. Now, surely... Everyone in this room can see that God has done good things for them. Yes, I know. Everybody has pain. Anybody here without pain in life? Yes, everybody has suffering. Anybody in here without suffering? Yes, everybody has sorrows and regrets. We all do. We all know that. But as we look at ourselves and we realize even simple things... Like God has given me friends. God has given me a wedding, a marriage. God has given me children. God has given me a job. Even the simple things of life. God has given me a place to live. These are things that deserve stories. But those of you who follow Jesus and those of you who may come to him, let me tell you something. You've got the greatest story ever to tell. And it is this, that God loved you enough, that God cared enough about you to put you in a place where you could hear about Jesus. That God loved you and God cared enough about you for you to hear the story about Jesus and what he has done for the human race. And God loved you and God cared enough about you to change your heart so you could receive that story as yours. Now, isn't that worth a little bit of gratitude once in a while? Isn't that worth a story or two once in a while? And God will sit back on his throne in heaven and he'll say, I am a good father. That's the heart of somebody who says thank you. It's the lips of someone who says thank you. But what will be the result? What's the payoff of this? I mean the payoff for you. 
Is there any benefit that comes to you and me? If we can get that kind of a heart, if we can get those kinds of words, those stories on our lips, uh, we can see what kind of benefit there is beginning in verse 8. Listen to what he says there. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Young lions suffer and want hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. When he says here, taste and see that the Lord is good, he's actually talking about a ceremony that they celebrated at the temple, at the tabernacle, and lay there at the temple in Old Testament Israel. It's a lot like the meal we're going to have here. It was what they called a Thanksgiving offering. And they would invite friends. They would invite even poor people along the street. Come on with me and go to the temple with me. Because this is what we're going to do. We're going to give a sacrifice of Thanksgiving. Part of it's going to be given to the priest. Part of it's going to be burned up and go up to God. But the rest of it, we're going to eat. And so what he's saying here is that now we've come to the time. We've come to the time in the ceremony of me expressing my gratitude to God that I want you to eat with me. And they would actually sit there and eat the food. But did you notice he doesn't say, taste and see how good the food is. What he says is, taste and see how good God is, how good the Lord is. Because as they ate that food, And as that food invigorated them, many of them being the poor, many of those who did not have food otherwise, when that food invigorated them and turned their bodies on as it will, they could then see just how good God had been to this man, to this worshiper. And they could join with him in that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It reminds me of a time, my first trip, in fact, to Mexico, where I came down with de la turista, tourist disease. And I hadn't eaten in three or four days, but I came to a friend's house and his mother made me eat. Now, I had not eaten in three or four days. And when I took that taco, that cheese taco that she made for me, and I put it on my lips, this body that had fallen to pieces, this depressed human being that didn't even want to live again, didn't want to take another breath because I had not eaten in three days, all of a sudden, my, my body turned on I became energized, full of life, magnifico, viva Mexico. That's what happens to you if you haven't eaten for a while and you eat again. Your body just turns on. Well, that's what this man is talking about here. Being turned on, not so much to how good the food is, but to how good God has been to this person to make it possible for me to eat this food. Now, you're about to have a meal. It's a symbolic meal. It's not much to it in terms of physical pleasures and that sort of thing. But it is a meal that reminds us and tells us how good God has been to us. We are participating in the sacrifice of Jesus by drinking in faith of his blood and eating in faith by the Holy Spirit of his body. And as we take the moment to realize that this is not about how's that grape juice taste, how's that little wafer taste, but rather how good God has been to us, this meal can invigorate you too. It can make you see that God really has been good to me. God has done wonderful things in my life. 
And we can say, taste and see how good the Lord is. Well, just how, how much can it do for us? Did you hear what he said? He said, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who fear the Lord lack nothing. Those who fear the Lord lack nothing. Now, I'm sure that 15 minutes after this ceremony, he could have given you a list of 100 things he still needed. His life wasn't over. Just like you and me, we can always come up with 100 things we need, can't we? But at this moment, what he's saying is this. As we eat this food, as we remember the story I just told, as my heart is still open and my eyes can still see that God has been good to me, I can honestly tell you, I lack nothing. My cup overflows. Even in a world of sin, even in a world of suffering, even in a world of sickness, even in a world full of death and threats at every moment, the people of God, the people who know Jesus, can say with truth, with conviction in their hearts, I lack no good thing. Wouldn't you like to feel that way about yourself once in a while? I mean, let's admit it, that when we see Florida State whoop up on Ole Miss, that happened this weekend, didn't it? Florida whooped up, oh man, they even they whooped up on them? Well, that's amazing. That is amazing. A lot of you may have watched that football game. If you didn't, it's okay with me, I didn't. But I delight in it. And when Jeff told me this morning, he went, hoo-wah, anybody that whoops up on Ole Miss, I'm on it. Hooray. Well, let's admit it. You know, when you leave a football game where your team has won, you leave that game saying, I don't lack a single good thing in my life. This is unbelievable. That's the attitude I'm talking about. That's the feeling I'm talking about. The kind of feeling that you know when you get back home, you're still going to be dealing with your teenagers. You're still going to be dealing with your bills. You're still going to be dealing with the disease that you have. You're still going to be dealing with what's on the news. You're still going to be dealing with all those things that bring you down day after day after day. But at that moment, at that moment, you can say, taste and see, life is good. The Lord has been good to me, and I don't lack a thing. Now, this is something you can do every day of your life. This is something you can do at special seasons, like the Thanksgiving season is coming soon. And this is something you can do in your worship services here. And this is something you can do right now as we taste and see that the Lord is good. Infants are not born saying thank you. And even when we teach our toddlers to get those words out, thank you, they still haven't got it yet. Because having a heart that's full of thanks and gratitude and adoration begins with opening your eyes to see what's happening in your life. It goes to your lips with stories. And then it permeates your life with the euphoria, with the joy, with the pleasure that I 
lack no good thing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we delight in you. That you were one whose eyes were opened, heart was opened to the good things that the Father in heaven did for you. That you were one who told stories about the goodness of the Father in heaven. We delight in you that even in a life that was devoted to suffering, even suffering on a cross, that you had deep within you and throughout your life the joy of knowing that God has been good. Holy Spirit, our prayer is simple. Please make us like Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Richard. Okay, you have in your bulletin a little bit more about what God has called this man to do under Third Mill Ministries, but I'm going to ask him just a a couple of questions. Richard, what does actually Third Mill do? And can you give us an example of what God is doing through Third Mill Ministries? Yeah, Third Millennium Ministries, which is located just up here in, in Fern Park, Castleberry at 436 and 1792, right at that intersection. Uh, basically, what we are doing is what most mission people would say is probably the most critical part of the spread of the gospel around the world. And that is we are educating church leaders around the world in the Bible and in sound theology. You may not know this, but most pastors in the world today have less than one hour of training in the Bible. Did you hear that? Most pastors in the world today have less than one hour of training in the Bible. Now, you know what your pastors do to you with all the education they've had. You know how they mess up your life, screw things up, okay? With all the education they've had, can you imagine what Jeff would do to you if he had had less than one hour of training in the Bible? (laughs) Scary stuff. It's a nightmare, isn't it? That's what most of your brothers and sisters face today. And so... Third millennium slogan is this, biblical education for church leaders for the whole world, and we mean the whole world, every land, every language. And the last tagline for us is biblical education for the world for free. We create a multimedia seminary education experience that we are giving away all over the world in about 18 different languages, and God is blessing, and that's what we do. That is so awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about how Third Mill got started? What did God do to prompt your heart to get you behind this? Yeah, I, was, I had the easiest job in the world, by the way. I was a teacher in a seminary. That's the easiest job in the world. <laughs> you never work. You never do anything. Okay? Never. And you control people like Jeff because you hold grades over their heads. So it's a really easy job. But um, a friend of mine in Jackson, Mississippi... A uh, student at the seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, had an experience where she was sitting at the table in the library, and an African student walked by and said, can I see that magazine? So she handed it to him, didn't pay any attention to it. And when he looked at the front cover, he looked at it and he said, I think that's my son. And she took it from him, and it was a pile of dead African teenagers in a ditch. And one face was showing, and it looked just like his son. And this is back in 1995, so it's before the internet, before anything like that. So they called the Red Cross, and two days later, they found that it was his son. He had been dead. This young man's son in Africa had been dead for more than six weeks, I think it was. And he didn't even know about it. At which time, this matriarch of a plantation in the delta of Mississippi. Remember Tara in Gone with the Wind? That's what we're talking about here. 
she called me up on the phone down here in Orlando. And she said, Rich, we can't let this happen anymore. And I said, what's that? We can't, we can no longer bring people away from their families, away from their churches to the United States to go to seminary. We can't do it anymore. We've got to put seminary in a box and send it to them. And then she said these words to me. She said, if I can get the money, can you get the box? And I said, yeah, I can get the box. That's easy. Uh, at that time, in 1995, what we thought that meant was making audio cassettes. Remember those? Yeah. Okay? Literally putting them in a box and shipping them to somebody, okay? Well, since then, it's, the vision's grown beyond that. But, um, but um, to where we broadcast things on satellite television and all kinds of things all around the world. It's just amazing what God has done. But uh, that's how we got started. We didn't get started because... Anybody was interested in deep theology or silly things that we often split the church over. We were interested in helping Christian leaders in their homes and their lands. Because where the church is growing the fastest in the world, there is the least opportunity for church leaders to learn the Bible. And we are going to change that. And God is doing that in unbelievable ways. That's awesome. Last question. Is it true that I was your favorite student you've it, ever had? It certainly was. Okay. Right. If, you, if you like Jeff, he was my favorite student. <laughs> if you don't like him, I don't know him. Right, let's pray. Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for the fact that you have given us eyes to see of how good you are, that you are working in the world. And God, that you would even use a, a, a tragedy like a magazine picture um, that would compel uh, a matriarch to say, we can no longer do that this way. And God, we thank you for the fact that you are behind Third Millennial Ministries. It's your hand. It's your desire. It's it's your love for your people of every tribe, tongue, and nation to know and love you, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So, Father, we thank you for that calling on Third Mill Ministries. We thank you for that calling upon Richard's life. We thank you for what you're doing here Uh, in Fern Park, to reach the world with a biblical education for the world for free. Boy, that has the aroma of Christ and the gospel all over it. And what a joy it is of Orangewoods to partner with them. God, as we collect our tithes and offerings, we are mindful that you ask us to do even this with a grateful heart, with a thankful heart, because every good and perfect thing comes from you, and we have not one thing that we desire apart from you. So God, receive these tithes and offerings to do that which only you could do, advance Christ's kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.